Have you ever watched The Wizard of Oz? Yes, I have. Okay, so you're familiar with Dorothy going to Oz, finding the scarecrow, the tin man, the the lion, and how does she get home? Like the hill three times. Yeah, exactly. So those red ruby slippers from Wizard of Oz are you typically found in the in Judy Garland Museum in the actress's hometown in Grand Rapids, Minnesota, but they have been missing for 13 years. But they were recovered by the FBI. Incidentally, the market value of those Ruby Red slippers, $100,000. That seems low for memorabilia that's that famous. I guess there's a market of stealing wardrobe props from... Yeah, you just like meet in the alley behind Comic-Con. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 334. I'm Reed Smith. That's Chris Boyer. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. <laughs> I'm clicking my bare feet together right now. There you go. There you go. Well, here we are for yet another episode of Touchpoint. Thanks again for tuning in and listening. We certainly appreciate uh, all the nice messages that we've gotten and, and continue to get throughout the week. Number one way you can help us out, tell a friend, tell a coworker. Word of mouth still works, so it seems. So um, really, really appreciate all the help there. While we kind of get rolling here, I want to give a quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. Touchpoint.health is where you can find out more about this show, the episode, the topics, all that kind of fun stuff. And uh, while you're there, you'll notice something called the TPS report. Top navigation there. Name, email address is all we're asking, and you will in turn get one email. Just one per week, I should say, with a couple of articles. Hopefully a little value add and is worth your time. So, again, we'll skip a holiday here and there, but let's call it, I don't know, Chris, 45-ish times a year maybe, something like that. What's the plus minus on that, Reed? Yeah, the over-under. Um, so the plus minus is probably three. Something there you like go. <laughs> so anywhere from 42 to 48 emails a year. Uh, hopefully that's valuable to you. But anyway, we'll pause here for a second. You can jump over and get touchpoint.health, sign up for the TPS report, and we will be back to uh, start the show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint. 
where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you. Today, Reed, we're going to do our show in a little bit of a different format. It's something that we haven't done for a while, but uh, I think it's always good to stay current on what's happening in healthcare news. So today, you and I are going to do a news roundup, some of the top articles that we've been reading, seeing, what what have you. There is a general theme around these, but not really, it's a, not a connected single topic. Yeah, we, we it's funny, We as we prep for these shows and, and even do the TPS report weekly, it's a little easier, obviously, just to toss in whatever. We end up with either topics, ideas, articles, findings, news stories, etc., uh, that maybe don't fit, or maybe it's just part of an episode, et cetera. But this is a way that we could kind of touch on some things, maybe update a little bit of what we've even talked about on previous episodes. And so exciting to kind of give this format a spin. Let us know what you think. Certainly, if this is interesting, helpful, um, any feedback. So yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Well, the first article, or I guess in this case, it's not really an article, but like a letter that the AHA wrote to OCR on HIPAA privacy rule. Remember the the rule that we've talked about or the guidance, the online tracking guidance that we've been talking about That's right. uh, pretty extensively for a while. Yeah, I mean, you can't do it. So <laughs> uh, you can't track people anymore. It's a HIPAA violation. So yeah, so I think the, the AHA crafted a response to those findings, to those rulings. And uh, we just wanted to kind of touch on that here. They do two things at once in this letter response. First of all, they underscore some of the things where they strongly agree with. And then they outline an area where they have some serious concerns, and that's specifically related to the online guidance tracking. So for those of you who may not have seen this, let's cover some of the high points here. One of the things AHA first said is that they agree with the OCR that a positive and trusting relationship between individuals and their healthcare providers are essential to an individual's health and well-being. And they agree that the proposed rules and guidance is designed to provide that heightened privacy protection that most patients really care about, and also, incidentally, are within the law. But they also had a counterpoint. So they called out in here that it is potentially, the proposed rule, they say, is potentially too broad, so that there's some adverse consequences for hospitals and really the patients at large. So in particular, by treating the mere IP address as PHI. Yeah. And that's the thing that I think all of us were kind of thinking about, or at least resting with in our heads, right? Is how, how does the IP address like align with health information and what's the appropriate, you know, coverage or guidance around that? So some of the things that the AHA underscored that again, Patient privacy is really important to them. They say the prospect of releasing highly sensitive PHI or protected health information does result in mistrust and it loses the trust that the, organ- the patient has with that organization. And it basically, you know, is against public health needs, so to speak. They also indicated that using this data in a way that is criminal in a negative way, particularly selling that data, is very, very bad. And they also agree with that. They underscore that. But they actually went even further. They do have a strong this is this is a really interesting one, right? Because again, this idea that an IP address equals PHI 
Like that seems strong. And that's kind of the point here is it's like, you don't really know who the person is behind that IP address. Maybe a device ID would get you closer. I don't know. I'm kind of taking a left turn here a little bit, but or, or pausing for a second, but I don't know. I, that's just, it doesn't seem specific enough to me. And they actually underscore that. They, uh, AHA says that uh, the online tracking guidance aggravates the risk of health misinformation by treating a mere IP address as a unique identifier under HIPAA. In particular, the guidance errs by concluding that IP addresses constitute PHI whenever they are shared with a third party, regardless of the context surrounding when someone visits a site in a non-authenticated way. So their their AHA is coming very strongly against this by saying, you did define this too general or too broad. And they even start to outline a couple of ways that hospitals use the third-party tracking in a positive way. So they call out, you know, one, obviously, analytics, right? So the tools that capture and report upon. Predominantly, this is where the Google Analytics stuff comes in, but like web page views, clicks, et cetera. But it allows hospitals to optimize their online presence, they say, to reach more members of the community, including those that are in the most need of certain types of healthcare information. So again, by intaking this information, we're able to optimize and, and actually put in front of people information to either dispel misinformation or just make sure that they're getting the right information. Yeah. And even more so like to identify where there are certain markets that potentially by what they come and look for on your website that could express interest in how to address some of those population health needs serving those underserved you know, areas. I think that's an important piece here. They go even further. They say some tools and particularly, I think these are Google tools so that they don't call them out. Translation services some hospitals contract with third parties to translate parts of their website and failure to optimize these translation services will basically result in the fact that they won't have content written in that native language on the site because those third party companies aren't compliant with the guidance. I I honestly had not given a lot of thought to translation. You know, I think everybody tried to make this about advertising initially uh, but another one they call out is maps and locations. So again, IP addresses understand geographically, physically where you are. Uh, well, you may need we may need to know that so we can appropriately direct you to the type of care that you need. And some of that's time sensitive, right? So maps and locations are a big one. Or geo sensitive too, right? To know right. where you're at, and you want to drop the local free clinic. Right? That would be very important. Lastly, they say social media. Now, we knew social media was basically the domino that tipped this in this direction, right, with the meta tracking. But they say social media is still significantly used by hospitals across the country to share health information. And because these platforms are typically free, they say that many social media platforms are accessible to people, particularly those people that may not have a computer, but actually access things through a mobile phone. They say users of social media are, are typically, and then they kind of give some stats here, 69% making an annual household income of 30 k or less, 64% of those with high school education or less, 80% Hispanic population, 77% of the black population. They specifically call out these stats of social media use because, uh, quite frankly, without being able to use the social platforms, 
hospitals and health systems can no longer put out credible information through these channels to those audiences. I mean, this is complex. I actually appreciate the level-headedness that AHA put into this uh, uh, response to the OCR. What do you think? Yes, I I agree as well. So again, I I like the fact that they called out the stuff that they agree with, though, right? This isn't just all negative, like, hey, you know, there's, you know, we need to have a certain level of trust. And if people don't feel like they've got that confidence uh, through, you know, confidentiality, seeing privacy, etc., then that leads to all kinds of issues, right, with mistrust and otherwise. But just simply equating an IP address to PHI is maybe a little overreaching. And that's our opinion, um, of course. So without, let's take a pause, Reed, we'll come back. And after the break, we'll get into an article that is about digital patient experience. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Next article, number two on the list, is from uh, patientengagementhit.com, which I'm sure is a website uh, many of our listeners have probably been to. We've pulled information even from this for the TPS report. But article entitled, Patients Need More in Digital Patient Experience, Patient Access. So patients and providers agree that, that the digital front door is important, but patients said momentum in building a digital patient experience has slowed to a halt. Yeah, well, there's a lot of reasons why it may have slowed to the halt. Uh, slowed to a halt, but they they indicate right. Patients want more technology enabling patient access to care, but unfortunately, their provider offices they ha- they were surveyed. This is what they responded weren't exactly offering the patient experience that they were looking for. Now, all of this comes out of an Experian Health report that we'll, again we'll link to this in the show notes, and you can click through to that report. This report was a survey of patients and providers across the United States, and it showed that patients are increasingly reticent to say their digital patient experience is getting better. Only 17% of patients said things are improving online when they're engaging with care. Does that surprise you, Reed? Yes and no. It's unfortunate, I guess. Because I, you know, another call that they have in here is that you know, everybody, everybody agrees that there's a business case for it, you know, for this idea of the digital front door. But, you know, nearly half, uh, they call it in here, said that the digital transformation sparked during 2020 has slowed down. So, again, I think this is that, are we in the trough of disillusionment? Is that what, is that where we are in the Gartner hype cycle, you know, kind of thing? We're in a really interesting spot that, the promise of technology isn't enough, right? It's going to take people in process and like, you know, how we actually put this stuff into motion. Yeah, it is. And unfortunately it's not moving at this pace that everybody wants it to move to particularly patients. But here's the thing. Patients 
called out something. 76% of patients said the most important digital service their provider can offer is the ability to book appointments online or using a mobile device. That's huge, right? The patients are clearly saying, you just give us this one little thing and it would help us significantly. And then uh, about three quarters said online bill pay is also important for them. Okay, so three quarters, most importantly, want to be able to book appointments online. Again, about the same amount of folks want to pay their bill online. Aren't we already doing that? <laughs> well, I would say that we're doing it in fits and spurts, right? Uh, most online bill pay, I think, is out there, right? I believe that. Most hospitals have that. I would say a point, online appointment scheduling, it depends on the type of specialist, on the type of, you know, primary care. Many of them have that. But, like, do you have that in some of your complex care? I'm not not really sure. Well, and I think that's what's interesting, right, is the nuances here. You, know, you look at the things like Amazon has done, for example, you know, it takes you two clicks and you're having a virtual visit. Well, how many on your website, right? Like go to your hospital's website. You can probably have a virtual care visit, but how hard is it to do? Like how long between the time you arrive and the time that launches? You know what I mean? I think that's where the, the, you know, kind of devils in the details or whatever. It's like, you know, topically, yes, we do these things. Do we do it well? Uh, maybe not. Probably not. I guess not. Well, and it's not just the mere fact of having the technology to make that online appointment schedule. It's having the access, having the ability for, for doctors to be free to be able to make those online appointments. They said consumer respondents said the biggest patient experience challenge they encounter is getting appointment in a timely manner or quote unquote, seeing a practitioner quickly. And that's been the top problem for three years running for the last three years. They said the article goes on to say, you know, separately, there's some other information that shows the average appointment wait time in 2022 was 26 days. So it kind of aligns what the reality is. That's interesting. Again, I think it's not just enough to have it. You have to be good at it. So, yeah, there's a couple of other call-outs in here. Um, obviously, more clinicians have implemented telehealth, text messaging, you know, patient portal usage, you know, et cetera, since 2020. But they're a product of the pandemic. And I'm not sure if that's good or bad, but, you know, they, you know, we implemented tools that would help them, you know, help folks, you know, engage with their clinician, uh, be monitored remotely, et cetera. I think, obviously, that's good topically. But again, like, you know, the clinicians, the you know, everybody's got to want to do this. Like everybody's got to feel like it's a good idea. Like you be twisting people's arms, I guess. Right. I think you're absolutely right about that. And of course, you know, we have to also be cognizant that there's a financial challenge right now going on in our industry. So we have to be cognizant of that. They say here, uh, some of the provider respondents knew that resting on patient experience investments are not going to be enough. About half of them, 46% of them said they think their organizations will invest more in patient engagement technologies in the upcoming, you know, six months to a year. And they, they're all optimistic about 
there's the focus on improving that digital patient experience. So while there still is maybe a disconnect between the reality and what the, what the patient's expectations are, I think we all recognize those. And those, you know, many of our, our hospitals and health systems in the industry are focusing in on improving those, those points around access, around availability, around basically meeting the new digital health consumer. So interesting article. Um, link to it in the show notes, Read. Okay, we'll take another break, and then we'll be back to talk about healthcare ratings. We'll do that right after this pause. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, Reed, I'm liking this format. I'm liking the different types of stories and topics and kind of like, you know, we don't have to necessarily weave together a, a theme, but we're just kind of hitting some of the high points. This is This feels good to me. Yeah, I like it. I like it. It, it works in my attention span. <laughs> that's great okay well let's turn to our third and last article of the day and this article comes from our folks our friends um, literal friends over at Chartist Group it's called healthcare ratings and rankings remain a valuable tool for improving quality as adverse events skyrocket let's jump into this one Reed ratings and reviews we've talked a lot about that right and so there's a number number of ways to think about this you know we're talking about caps are we talking about online third party you know ratings you know and and things like that there's obviously all the award-based scenarios newest u.s news and world report and you know those types of things right and we i think didn't we talk about this on the show about you know, some of the AMCs uh, ducking out. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, some of the rankings and rating sites and awards or, or what have you. It's an interesting space, right? Yeah, it is an interesting space. But the Charters Group kind of puts out this position that while there are some of these rankings and ratings that do serve different types of purposes, that quality experts and leading healthcare professionals have indicated that um, while ratings and rankings by reputable organizations aren't perfect, they're great benchmarking tools to improve healthcare quality. And I think that actually makes a lot of sense. Like if you look at LeapFrog or you look at like some of the CMS rankings and things like that, those things are actually measuring actual encounters and doing it in a way that's, you know, as best as possible level and, and, and informative. A quote in here. Uh, Andrew Resnick, uh, physician, if you think about a Venn diagram between healthcare ratings and rankings and actual quality, we'll agree they don't overlap 100%. But the inter- the intersection is essential focus for making meaningful strides in quality improvement. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that does make sense. A, a Venn diagram, I can, I can see it in my mind, right? And I know there's some that fall way out of that that area that he's he's focusing in on. But uh, to, to keep track of those, I think, makes a lot of sense. I've, any organization should be keeping track of their, their own performance metrics, wherever it may be, any kind of good data source that's out there. Citing that the management maxim at Cleveland Clinic is that you can't improve what you can't measure 
Many of the leaders point to the value of an external data source that's married to internal measures and efforts. They actually are doubling down maybe against how um, I won't, I was going to make a joke about the OCR and third party, but um, <laughs> you know, I was going to say, they're actually saying, you know, third party measurement could be in very informative. And particularly at this point in time where quality and safety is a, of high concern. You know, it's interesting. I, I think, Gosh, one of our super early on episodes, I don't even remember. It was in the first year, so it's been five, six years ago, I guess, at this point, was this idea of like caps versus, you know, surveys. Right. And I think it's still true. I think this is an interesting third leg of that stool as it relates to quality or kind of what those mean as it relates to quality. And I think that's what they're kind of talking about here. It does give you a sense. It may be a lagging indicator, though. I mean, it's not really leading per se. Yeah, I'm wondering, you know, I think pop health and understanding just general community health is a, is sort of like the leading indicator to understanding quality and how you need to respond. Mm-hmm. But liking indicators still have value, Reed. And they say that at this point in time, 2022 saw a 78% increase over Sentinel quality and safety events in hospitals, according to some new data from the Joint Commission. So this is a good time for hospitals to consider all of their quality and safety metrics, both internal and external. My, my takeaway here, kind of something that is, you know, again, I feel like a broken record, you know, it's harder and harder to define what we do, you know, where, where it starts and stops and all that kind of fun stuff. But this is another good example of you know, the, the relationship that needs to be cultivated, developed and cultivated with, you know, the clinical side of the house between what we do and they do. I, this is an interesting article because, you know, I've always had sort of a bias against rankings and ratings from third-party organizations because they are, to a certain extent, there is a purpose involved with them. But I've also at the same time felt that these quality ratings and rankings do hold value. It's just our job is to try to help to translate that to uh, help patients make better informed decisions. Interesting conversation today, Reed. So with that, we'll take a last break, uh, and then we'll be back to close out the show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Well, here we are. End of another episode, end of another week. Thanks for uh, tuning in. Touchpoint.health is the website. Again, let us know what you think about this format, the idea of covering some news items. You know, we do a show every now and then. Is it a segment of the existing flow? Um, Do you just like to spin the wheel and we just randomly do whatever we do? Uh, (laughs) Let us know. But we certainly, uh, certainly appreciate the, the listens. Before we get out of here, I will mention the TPS report. In addition to those uh, five articles to kick off your week, are also links to upcoming industry conferences, events, et cetera. So you can check that out. Yeah, let us know if we're missing something or need to add something there as well. Recommendations. What do you got this week? 
Okay, Reed, I'm going to mention two things and see if you can uh, guess at what these are. Okay. Um, who is a multi Grammy winning singer songwriter known in the 70s, collaborated very closely with uh, Michael McDonald and others, does a lot of yacht rock? Who, 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 who am I talking about here? Donna Summer. No, no, it's a, it's oh. a gentleman. It's a gentleman. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. Kenny Loggins. Oh, yeah. The Lon- We love Kenny Loggins, right? I, I don't know about you. I love Kenny Loggins. He's great, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, so imagine taking all the beauty and dr- glory of what Kenny Loggins is to solve one of the most nefarious problems that we have interacting with websites online today. Passwords. Password management. Remembering your password. Because it seems like you always have to come up with a new password. It's compromised. Come up with a new password. So imagine combining Kenny Loggins with password generation, and you have KennyLog-in.com, <laughs> where you can generate a secure password from the lyrics of America's greatest singer-songwriter ever. And by the way, you have three different levels in which you can create the complexity of your password. You have the danger zone, which is a weak password. You have the I'm all right, which is an all right, okay password. Or you have this is it, one of the strongest passwords uh, that they can generate for you. And you get to select the password complexity, and I'm going to choose I'm all right. And then you generate your new password. And in this particular case, um, the I'm all right uh, password is 439, shot to the heart, dollar sign, dollar sign, my father's house, question mark taken right from the lyrics of Kenny Loggins. So all you have to do is navigate out to kennylog-in.com and you can generate your own password. Yeah, this is pretty great. That's my recommendation. This is pretty great. <laughs> yeah. I'm, uh, I'm getting lost here. <laughs> on, uh, man, I'll never remember any of these. So you really, you are going to need a password gener- I mean, a password manager. I yes, guess. you will. <laughs> uh, 66 staring down question mark all my innocence exclamation exclamation point. <laughs> oh, man, that's good stuff. That is good stuff. Well, I am going to recommend the NBA Finals. So something's on TV, current event. I know a lot of people are down on the NBA or pro sports in general. Um, I think they're they're pretty much all worth watching once you get to the playoffs. Some of the regular season, whether it's baseball or basketball or something, maybe there's there's too many games and it's like you can't keep up. But here we are. We're one game in. Uh, as we record this, at least, we're one game in. Actually, I don't know what the series count will be by the time this episode comes out. But in any case, the Nuggets, the Heat, uh, I think it'll be a good series, let's hope. So we'll see if my my narrative here holds up <laughs> by the time we record next week. But yeah, yeah, check it out. NBA Finals. Excellent. I love the recommendation. All right, folks. Well, thanks again. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for tuning in. Tell a friend. Tell a neighbor. Um, we'd love, uh, love the support, reach out, let us know how we're doing. LinkedIn is probably the best way to do that. Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.